Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 224 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you into our world of financial markets and financial planning. Uh, back by popular demand, our Director of Research and Trading, Nick Whitaker, filling in for Matt as he uh, is busy with work items all day. So Nick, thanks for coming back on this morning. Always, uh, always good to be here. Uh, been quite the the couple, really the couple of months, but just the past two weeks uh, for the markets. You know, a lot going on, a lot going on geopolitically, uh, a lot going on with the economy, a lot going on with the stock market. We're in the middle of earnings season. Uh, volatility is picking up, so uh, there are uh, several things uh, to discuss, and I'm sure that we're going to continue to discuss over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but as always, we will quickly review the month-to-date and year-to-date performance for the major market indices that we track. This data is from YCharts, and as of October 25th on the market close. S&P 500 index up 9% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 0.3% for the year. Uh, S&P 500 down uh, 2.4% for the month. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.5% for the month. The NASDAQ Composite Index down 3% for the month, still up 22% for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap Index down 7.5% for the month and down 6.1% per year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF down 3.6% for month and down 0.3% for the year. Three-month Treasury rate at 5.59%, the two-year Treasury rate at 5.08%, and the 10-year Treasury rate at 4.95%. Moving on to big headlines, current events from the week, Nick. This just came out this morning uh, that I think was pretty surprising for most people that the U.S. economy actually grew GDP by 4.9 percent in the third quarter. Uh, This was heavily driven by consumer spending, which makes up the largest part of the U.S. economy. Uh, And this came in much stronger than analysts had anticipated. So it'll be interesting to see how the market kind of digests this information with all the volatility going on. Um, But it again, aids to what we've been kind of talking about all year is that the consumer still remains strong. And if we're going to have a recession in this country, um, we're going to need to see signs of the consumer weakening. And we're just not seeing that right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about the strength of the consumer and why the consumer has been so strong a little bit later in the podcast. But the the beat just, I don't know, I might have missed this, but consensus was 4.3 on that US GDP numbers of 4.9 is a pretty big beat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and then like we kind of just talked about, Nick, market volatility has picked up, um, you know, during earnings season, there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, We have, you know, tensions continuing to rise uh, in the Middle East, uh, which could threaten uh, the 
deflationary environment that or disinflation that we've been experiencing over the past uh, year or so. Um, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that energy makes up most of the inflation calculation. So, you know, if that conflict goes on, uh, you know, longer than people anticipate, you know, that could drive inflation back up, which would, uh, you know, be followed most likely by increased interest rates by the Federal Reserve when they are planning to be done for right now, uh, which could spook markets and would not be a great thing for, for risk assets. I think that's probably the worst case scenario. Um, obviously, best case scenario, things come to a peaceful resolution. Inflation continues to come down. Earnings uh, from now until the end of the quarter come in strong and, and we get a Santa Claus rally into the end of the year. But um, as always, that will uh, have to wait and we'll have to see how, how the market plays out the rest of the year. Yeah, very, very well said. One, one thing I want to point out, and we can talk just quickly about it for listeners, because it's just kind of occurring to me that in the past when we've talked about uh, wars and and other international geopolitical uh, skirmishes, uh, a lot of times we talk about how uh, you know the it's not going to impact the market. The market's going to kind of move right past it. And this time it's a little different. And I think maybe just given given investors and and listeners just a quick overview as to why it's different. Um, a lot of a lot of the reasons it's different is because of the rate environment we're in, because we're fighting inflation so much, and because obviously where the war is located has direct ties to the energy markets and OPEC, and um, can have uh, like like you were mentioning a, a a very drastic effect on inflation. And when the whole world, for the most part, that's that's an, uh, a big generalization, but a lot of the world their central banking policy is already very high. They're already dealing with high inflation or, or, or trying to combat inflation and getting it down. And so that's why this war is a little different than than moments we've seen in the past. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but. No, I think it actually kind of plays kind of right into the first thing that I had. And, you know, the first thing I have, Nick, is a, a tweet from the Money Visuals account, who, uh, excuse me, which is run by our friend Ashbeat Daniels. Uh, he's been on the show before very early on. So he does a really good job with this account. It's a great follow if people want to uh, follow it on Twitter and Instagram. It's at uh, MV money visuals. So he says, if you think the future is going to look any different than the past, you're probably wrong. This is true for both the continuation of progress itself, as well as the chaos that comes along for the ride. As much as you uh, might dislike it, they are inseparable. And it's this chart uh, that says the story of human progress. And, you know, the chart is going from the bottom left to the upper right hand corner of the screen. And every zig and every zag, there's chaos at every turn, right? And I thought that this was really good because there's always going to be something crazy going on in the world. There's never going to be a time where things are perfect. Everything is hunky-dory and it's just not how the world works, right? And and I think not this how, goes- not for, how humans work. <laughs> right. It goes for investing and just life in, in general. And I think it's a good reminder to focus on- you know, what you can control. And, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit a few years back when we had JC Peretz on the podcast. You know, I think I made the comment or alluded to, you know, crazy times we're living in. I think this was closer to COVID. And he kind of just took it in stride and was like, yeah, but Mark, 
isn't every time kind of a crazy time because there's always something that could you know spook markets there's always something that could push markets lower um and that's just part of investing and again not just in investing but in life in general you know life's going to throw you curveballs and you're going to have to figure out a way to deal with the twists and turns that life gives you and it's no different from the market it's just having a plan agreeing on your plan sticking to it in good times and bad can really help smooth out those chaotic periods um so I just thought that this was uh, a really good visual, no pun intended, uh, for for listeners to kind of take a peek at. Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. I completely agree. You can you can track history every which way, you know, an advanced progress and in, in any form is going to follow by by chaotic, sometimes terrible things. So right. Right. And a good example of this is actually just because I, I got done watching it not that long ago. I watched uh, Super Pumped on uh, Netflix. It's about the the rise and kind of fall a little bit of Uber and in particular, the one of the founders, uh, Travis Kalanick. Mm-hmm. And oh, my gosh, if you want to talk about chaos, you know, that was kind of a wild story. And they had so many twists and turns that they had to deal with. And look at what uber is today it's a major major part Mm -hmm. of our everyday life um yeah fundamental i would say it is fundamental fundamental. and it's and it's changed the world i think you know for for the better uh whether you're you know uber or lyft just ride sharing in general and but i guess my point is it, it took a lot of chaos to get there right they were fighting with you know state and local governments because of the taxi unions and you know medallions in new york city and and california and all that stuff and you know um yeah i remember that i remember it it sounds like from from the movie that you know travis had some you know interesting ways to go about things and interesting company culture that was it just seemed like it was chaos 24 7 but now it's such a huge part of you know, the American way of life and, you know, from taking it from Uber to where we're going to go next, you know, I know this is still really early, but in Dayton, uh, just a couple months ago or a month or two ago, Joby uh, Aviation announced that they're going to have their hub here to start like flying cars, right? So, um, you know, instead of Ubering in a car, you know, you're probably going to be able to Uber or order one of these, you know, flying apps, uh, on your phone and they'll come pick you yeah. up and take you to Cincinnati or Columbus and, you know, have you there in 10, 15 minutes. So this stuff's going to continue to evolve, but it's not going to be without chaos. So I think there's a lot of lessons that we can take away from that. Always bumps along the road. Um, second thing I had, Nick, uh, interesting to get your take on this. This was a chart uh, from Bloomberg and the Grindstone Intelligence blog. Uh, it shows annualized earnings and revenue growth um, forecasted for 2024 to 2025, and it lists it by sector. And this was really interesting to me because earnings growth, at least to me, still looks pretty strong over the next couple of years, the forecasted earnings growth of publicly traded companies, um, and in particular in, you know, the tech sector, right? So at the top of this mm-hmm. graph, you have information technology. Forecasted growth looks to be anywhere between 17 and 18% from 2024 to 2025. Um, 
So I thought that this was interesting given the market volatility that we're experiencing right now. But to a certain extent, this kind of makes sense to me, right, Nick? You know, I think it's really important to remind, you know, people that aren't in the industry every single day that the market is very forward looking and it prices things in way in advanced. And I think this is a really good example of this because, you know, the forecast, the only sector in the S&P 500 with forecasted uh, revenue, uh, negative revenue growth and negative earnings growth is energy. And through the first half of 2023, energy was one of the worst sectors. It was negative. It was only the past couple of months when energy started to pick back up again. And I think that's a really good example of, you know, the market saying, hey, you know, earnings growth is going to be pretty lackluster or not existent in 2024, 2025. So energy isn't performing that well in 2023. And I think the opposite side of the coin, obviously tech has been the best industry or excuse me, sector this year. And it has the highest forecasted revenue and earnings growth between 2024 and 2025. So, um, you know, the market's not necessarily focused on what exactly is going on right now, and especially not what has happened in the past, um, but more so over the next several years. And and I think this is a really good example of this. Now, does this mean that the market's going to continue to go up through the end of this year and next year and in 2025? Absolutely not. Anything can happen. Um, but just given where we are today, I thought that that was uh, kind of a good example of, of how forward looking markets truly are. Is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, two things kind of jump out to me. One um, is is the continued strength of earnings relative to revenue in the information technology sector. And I'm guessing if we if we kind of broke that out, a lot of that would be dominated by some of the bigger names, some of the bigger yeah. players that just yeah. make a lot of money um, and, and and contribute to earnings. Um, I would I would guess that when you kind of start going further down the market cap um, list within tech, you'll start to see that that revenue kind of go up, but the earnings come down because a lot of your smaller tech names they're not generating as much profits yet, right? They're the future, so there's there's a lot of revenue growth, but they're still you know working through their their ops. So that's definitely a, a piece of technology. So that that kind of surprised me just a little bit when you think about how big Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, et cetera, et cetera, how big they are, and that is not an advertisement to to buy or sell any of those names. Um, but when you think about how big those names are, uh, that's probably why um, that's the case. And the other thing that that just jumped out at me a little bit was, was financials and just how low both the revenue and and the earnings earnings growth is in that that space. I mean, lower than materials, consumer staples, utilities. I mean, that surprises me a little bit, especially in the rate environment that we're in um, and with the Fed saying that they're going to hold higher for longer. Um, but that really has been has been the story uh, you know, for a number of years now, you know, arguably decades uh, yeah, post, yeah post great financial crisis this has been the story for the energy or excuse me for the for the financial space and um yeah, it's just it, it just surprises me a little bit we, we think about wall street we think about banking and you know the the bulge bracket banks that are the hub of the entire system and uh, it's just it surprises me a little bit to see uh to see such low low rates down there yeah 
Yeah, for sure. So, and again, I think this is another way to look at, you know, how inflation impacts, you know, publicly traded companies, Nick, is that, you know, when you have inflation running at, you know, four or 5%, it devalues these companies' earnings and revenue growth, right? Because on real numbers, for example, if inflation's at 5%, then financials, you know, really isn't growing at all, right? Um, yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. Of earnings and revenues. So that's that's one of the the, the ways that you know inflation um, and and higher interest rates kind of impact uh, publicly traded companies. So, mm-hmm. um, anyways, point, last yeah. thing last thing I have, Nick, is just a uh, simple quote from Ron Chernow, um, and he says, "Quote: Stock market corrections, although painful at the time, are actually a very healthy part of the whole mechanism, because there are always speculative excesses that develop." particularly during the long bull market. So I just thought that this was pretty timely with everything that's going on. Um, You know, still as of right now, this is still a somewhat seasonally weak period. Um, But if it goes on for too much longer, then that would uh, start to buck the seasonal trends that we've seen over the past couple of decades uh, in the fall. So, um, again, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button just yet, because as quick as this market has kind of dropped the past couple of weeks, it could be, you know, a quick rebound to the upside. So um, I don't think this is the time to make any drastic changes uh, to portfolios or strategy yet. Now, that could change very quickly, uh, as we've Mm -hmm. seen in the past, but um, just wanted to throw that out there because I think it is uh, very timely. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, it's a great quote, and and just jumping on the back of what you said, we're still in the the heat of earnings season. So, like you said, this could this could swing day over day. You're gonna have increased volatility, and the narrative could really change in a, a week or two. Um, with with some more of the big big names coming to come to report soon. So. Um, the the first piece of research I have here is just a detailed look at year-to-date performance across the S&P. This is research from Charlie Bellelo, um on the 20th of October. So it's a little a little stale, but still a great chart. Uh, Charlie says the following: It's been a great year for the for the 50 largest stocks in the S&P 500, which are still up 24% year-to-date. I'm guessing that's come down a little bit since this uh, since this note, which are still up 24% year-to-date even after the recent pullback, but the performance of the average stock paints a very different picture for the S&P 500 equal weight down one one percent year to date and small caps down 3.5 percent year to date. And we'll throw this chart up here um, and you can see just how drastic the, the percent gain falls as you get further down the market cap scale so um you know your 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 top 50 being 24 top 100 18 um just the the standard benchmark equal uh, uh standard weight um 12 and then an equal weight i.e if you took you know one percent and just equal it completely equal across every every name in the in the s p 500 uh actually down while the top 50 are up 24%. So we've talked about this a little bit in the past with how how weak small caps have been, but it is it's pretty uh, it's pretty noticeable the the breadth in the market um, this year and, and over the past few months. So 
Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything for, to add there. Yeah, just for new listeners, when Nick talks about breadth, he's not talking about like like breath coming out of your mouth. He's talking about market breadth, which is a indicator of how many stocks are, are rising or falling, or how many stocks are in uptrends versus downtrends. Um, and typically, in most market environments, we want to see uh, a large amount of stocks participating to the upside, carrying the market higher um, that would be uh, you know characterized as having strong breadth in the market um, but this year breadth has been extremely weak it's you know like you can see on this chart the S&P 50 uh, you know the largest 50 names in the S&P 500 have have done really well and some of the medium and smaller cap names have, have done very poorly and yeah. I would even go to venture you know if there was a an ETF that tracked the top 10 stocks in the S&P yeah. 500, yeah. this would just be more magnified. And I think, yep. you know, why we're seeing significant market weakness right now is because, you know, some of those big guns, Apple, Amazon, uh, NVIDIA, uh, Tesla, um, they're starting to show a little bit of weakness on the short-term basis. So um, if you have the mega cat names, being weak along with the rest of the market, then I don't think you have to be a genius to to say that's yeah. not a very successful recipe for returns going forward. But um, yeah, really interesting uh, chart here. It's been it's been an interesting year. I mean, like we said, you know, the safety trade has been you know these large cap names, these mega cap names for a long period of time. But if those start to to go down along with the rest of the market, then you know that's that's an issue. Absolutely. The next piece I have is uh, economists increasing their U.S. growth projections. Pretty timely with uh, U.S. GDP coming out and beating today. Uh, this is uh, um, from Bloomberg, also on the 20th, uh, says the following. And this is just a snippet from, from, the, from the article. Economists raised their U.S. growth projections through early 2024 and trimmed recession odds to a one-year low as consumers continue to spend, which you mentioned earlier. The Bloomberg survey was conducted between October 13th and 18th and included responses from 74 economists. Um, here's a quote within the article. Despite current economic readings coming in stronger, we still expect a mild recession to unfold in 2024, said Kathy Bostanek. Uh, sorry about that, Kathy. Chief economist at Nationwide Life Insurance. Uh, the jump in yields that underpin borrow rates will engineer a slowing employment and income growth will lead to a pullback in consumer spending. We'll throw up this chart here and uh, the chart says Wall Street grows increasingly optimistic on the outlook. And you can see the difference between the September survey and the October survey. Uh, Q3 coming up half a percent, Q4 coming up a bit, Q1 coming up a bit. Um, and then you know, it's about pretty much the same from from there on out. Um, but it just goes back to what you said at the beginning of the show that you know, the consumers stay strong and um, you know, things things are still holding on from an economic point of view and and um, economists have had to adjust again. Yeah, I, I really don't have anything uh, anything to add. Um... You know, I think it's it's no secret that I'm not a huge fan of of surveys and and things of that nature. But um, you know, I think it just goes to show you how quickly you know estimates and forecasts can change based on based on what's going on in in the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
And my uh, my last piece here is uh, is another survey, Federal Reserve survey. Uh, it's on median net worth during the pandemic. This is an article is featured in Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, National Public Radio, New York Times. Uh, back on the 18th, it's a pretty good article. I encourage people to read it. One of the things I like about it is I think it explains why um, the 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 general reason for why the the economy has been so resilient, or at least kind of gives us ideas to to really hone in on and some data to look at. Um, the, the article, uh, the title is going to be different depending on what you're looking at, but the title was Americans Net Worth Surged by Most in Decades During the Pandemic. Um, a few highlights, households invested more, saw home values jump from 2019 to 2022. Financial strength is thwarting the Fed's effort to slow the economy. That checks out. And then there's a little disclaimer that they mentioned. Uh, since the figures are through 2022, they may not reflect how persistent inflation and high interest rates have increased the financial vulnerability of many families in recent months. So that is a caveat with this data. Is you know it's it's um, it's not going to show the full impact of inflation and the Fed the Fed rate hikes. Um, but the first the first little chart here is a family median net worth and its real median net worth among all ages uh, surged 37 percent uh, to $192,000, 193 ballpark. And you can see the the median percent change from 2019 to 2022, which is pretty pretty substantial, particularly among the age group less than 35, um, which which is pretty interesting to me. Um, statistically, there's another chart that we'll throw up here that, that shows the the real mean, the average, the family average net worth by age, and the real mean rising at you know, 1.8 million um, among 65 to 74 year olds. Uh, you see the percent changes is also pretty drastic among uh, the age group of less than 35, at, coming in at 101 percent. We're going to throw out both charts for you guys, but I, I do want to mention that statistically, I like the median numbers. I think they're a little bit more important. I think they're uh, a, a little bit more representative of the entire economy. When you when you start talking about means and net worth, that, that, that can get really skewed very quickly, um, regardless of whatever numbers you're looking at, um, especially for this kind of thing, just because of, of, of wealth gap disparity. All right, and that, that's why I, I point out that I actually I care more about the median numbers in this example. That's not always the case, but in this with this data, I care more about the median. Um, and I think the the median chart helps illustrate you know, why there's been economic resilience, particularly among younger people at at lower income levels. Right. Um, I think it's a combination of the stimulus checks that we saw. Uh, you see some of those stimulus checks um, and and some of that excess cash being put into the market. Uh, being put in the homes, you have the increase in the in the market over that time, you have the increase in home values over that time, and then when you add in the the combination, in, in my opinion, of of the rise of of flexible work and the work from home, I think that's helped a lot of people maybe stay in jobs where otherwise they couldn't, or find jobs, find part time jobs um, that that otherwise they wouldn't, um, and I think. When you put all those things together, you look at these charts, it makes sense why the Fed had to hike so so much relative to recent history and why it's taken a little bit of time to 
for for the economy to really feel uh, feel the extent of those of those rate hikes. Um, you know, this, the stimulus checks, all those things that I just mentioned, I think that that helped the consumer stay strong and is continuing to help the consumer uh, remain strong, um, which is why it's taken a while for for inflation to come down. It's taken a while for the for the for the rate hikes to to really have their impact. It, it will take more time. Um, and so I just thought it was kind of a, a cool chart and made some good points. So, yeah, I any think thoughts? illustrative of you know this is the if you think about it on simplistic terms i mean this is the definition of a supply and demand imbalance you know we printed a you know you know what ton of money uh during covid and with supply chains all messed up there were not a whole lot of goods going around. So you had more money chasing less goods and you had, you know, the worst inflation we've seen in a very, very long time. Um, So things, you know, things in the financial world don't have to be that hard to understand. And this is one of those that it's just people had more money and if there's more demand for something, people can charge higher prices. And, you know, that kind of just kind of flowed throughout the entire economy. And, that's why you're seeing, um, you know, things at the grocery store are more expensive now. Uh, going out to dinner is more expensive now. Um, and, you know, typically when we see this stuff, you know, and inflation does moderate. I mean, to a certain extent, like food, you know, supply and demand will influence that pricing. Um, but, you know, new houses, for example, you know, because inflation has come down, you know, home builders aren't going to start charging less just because inflation came down. They're just going to let that fall yep. to their bottom line, right? So, uh, so some of this stuff is going to be sticky and, and not going to go away. Um, but on the other side of that, uh, employees had the most pricing power in terms of asking for raises, switching jobs for for higher paying uh, salaries in, in quite a long time. So, you know, that kind of has helped offset the inflation that we've seen because the the increase in uh, consumer incomes has has gone up substantially too over the past couple of years. So I think that's part of the reason why you're we're still kind of okay in terms of consumer spending because people are making more money than they than mm-hmm. they had been. So absolutely an excellent point. Yeah. Um, Last thing here, Nick, the financial planning topic of the week, Uh, not the sexiest topic to talk about, but it was an article in the Wall Street Journal titled The Big Mistakes People Make in Medicare and How to Avoid Them. And this was by Anna Wild Matthews on October 15th. Um, So just to preface, uh, you know, Medicare can be extremely complicated and extremely confusing. Um, And I think this is why you see some people uh, get in trouble with Medicare because they just don't know what they don't know. Um, I will say there are experts out there. Uh, We know a couple uh, in the Dayton area that if, you know, people have questions about Medicare, we can kind of direct them that way because it's it's not totally uh, our cup of tea, but it is something that fits into part of people's um, financial plan, uh, especially in, in retirement, obviously, when you're older than 65 and understanding the basics will go a long way with making sure that you're on the right plan and you have the the right amount of, of coverage. So um, if you're kind of in this window of you know 62 63 kind of getting ready to go on medicare in in a year or two or 
two years, um, you know, this is something that we want to take a look at. So um, Anna kind of starts by talking about the Medigap trap. And before I go any further, a Medigap policy is also known as a Medicare supplement insurance. So it's a type of health insurance plan, Nick, that helps cover some of the health care costs that, you know, just plain old Medicare Part A and Part B do not pay for. And Medigap policies are offered by private insurance companies and are designed to kind of fill in the gaps or expenses left by Medicare, uh, such as covering deductibles or co-payments or, or co-insurance, okay? So Medigap policies uh, don't have network restrictions, so you can see any healthcare provider that accepts Medicare patients, which is a nice thing. Um, but the trick is that patients with health issues may want to move um, to original Medicare, but they can't buy a Medigap policy. So she says that this is where people get stuck um, because they get really sick and they can't switch. So um, Medigap, or again, another term is Medicare supplement insurance, doesn't have the same rules as most, most health insurance. Um, so for you know, kind of other types of coverage, insurers can't reject you or charge you more based on your medical conditions. But with Medigap, those guarantees are only available at certain times, like open enrollment. Um, so when you apply for a Medigap policy, when you're not in open enrollment, you run the risk of insurance companies assessing you based on your current health status, which can jack up premiums if, if you're not healthy. So um, Anna says that the best chance to get Medigap coverage is when you first join Medicare uh, after you turn 65. And then you have a six month window where you can buy a Medigap policy and insurers can't turn you down uh, or charge you more based on your health condition. So really to kind of wrap this in a bow, I know that was a lot of information, maybe difficult for people to understand is, you know, if you wait and you forego a Medigap policy, it's a lot harder and a lot more expensive to get that additional coverage for paying for the deductibles and co-payments and co-insurance when you're not in the open enrollment window. Um, so because at that point, insurers can can take your medical status into yeah, account. Okay. So uh, obviously it's going to cost a little bit more, but I think it's well worth it for, for most people um, because we never know what's going to happen in the future. And it's just good to have that coverage. Um, next trap that uh, Anna talks about is wrong doctors. So she talks in this article a little bit about Medicare Advantage plan. So this is also known as Medicare Part C, and it's an alternative way to receive your Medicare benefits. But instead of enrolling in original Medicare, which is Medicare Part A and Part B, and purchasing a separate Medicare, Medicare Part D prescription drug plan, um, you can choose to enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan, which is actually offered by private insurance companies that are approved by Medicare. Um, so a lot of times this can be cheaper um, for people, and that's why it's so attractive than just basic Medicare. Um, but she says another common trap that kind of gets people who sign up for Medicare Advantage plans is that there's a, quote, lean menu of doctors and hospitals. So they may also have a hard time getting care if they're traveling outside uh, of their home region. So if you're signing up for a Medicare Advantage plan, you got to make sure that your doctors you want to see are in network, because if you go out of network, then you don't have coverage. 
um, which is really important to a lot of people, right? You know, a lot of people love their doctor and they want to make sure they can continue going to their doctor after they retire and they're on Medicare. Um, but it's important to do that work up front to make sure that if you do go the Medicare Advantage plan route that, you know, your doctors are in your network and you're going to be covered. Another caveat there is making sure that there's enough in-network coverage among specialists that you may have to see. Right. I and mean, as you get older, you're uh, you will have we'll all have to see specialists. And and if, if you know there's a specialist that's near you, it might not be a network. You have to travel two hours or an hour down the road, or you know that, that's something else to consider. Yeah, and that kind of plays into the next point is is what she says is that Medicare Advantage plans can sometimes delay or block access to care. A recent government investigation found that some beneficiaries were denied services that should have been covered. You might need to get approval from the insurer before you get a surgery or a referral from your primary care doctor to see a specialist. So again, if you do go kind of the cheaper Medicare Advantage route, um, you just got to make sure that you know you do your research on those things because the last thing you want to do is get in a situation where you you don't want to go see a specialist because how expensive it's going to be and it's going to have mm -hmm. a negative you know impact on on the way you live your life in retirement so um or you need, need a surgery and they won't approve it through insurance correct correct um and the next the, the last thing um that Anna talks about is drug deficits. So she says your drug coverage can come through a standalone Part D plan, which is the drug prescription plan through Medicare, um, or it could be wrapped into a Medicare Advantage plan. But she says either way, you can use Medicare.gov to see if your prescriptions are included, and this is worth doing every year. So uh, that is kind of nice where you can go and, and look up online because obviously uh, prescription drugs are obviously a, a very large portion of a lot of people's lives, especially as they age. So you also want to make sure that uh, your drugs that you're taking daily, weekly, monthly, yearly are are covered under your plan. So there's a, there's a lot that, that you know that kind of goes on, and a lot of moving pieces when it comes to Medicare. So um, highly recommend um, working with or or talking with uh, a specialist in this area. And a lot of times it doesn't cost anything because. These people are compensated by, you know, insurance companies. So um, it makes sense just to, to reach out to some of these experts, pick their brain, make sure you understand everything before you actually go through the application process. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the health insurance has, has always been tricky. Yeah. <laughs> In our yep. system, it's, there's a lot. It's very confusing. So, uh, yeah, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. No, getting any less, less confusing. So it'll probably, it'll probably get more, more confusing. As yeah. As so before we uh, get to a listener question, uh, Nick, just want to take a moment and uh, tell listeners if they are interested in starting their own podcast, you can get your first month of blueberry podcasting uh, hosting free with the promo code Jessup wealth, all lowercase with no spaces. Use the hosting estimator on their site to determine the best plan for you. And don't forget that's Jessup Wealth for your first month free. Uh, first listener question we've had in a little while here, Nick, this was from Tim. He says, it might be interesting to discuss at the end of your podcast where the terms bullish and bearish come from. I've heard that it comes from that bulls attack up and bears attack down, but don't know how much of that is true. 
It's a great question, Tim. And to my knowledge, you are correct. It's because when bulls are fighting, they kind of drive up with their horns. And when bears are fighting, I guess, standing on two feet, they, you know, claw down with with their paws. So uh, that's where you get the term bull market, meaning we're in a strong uptrending market and bear market where we're in a, a negative or a downtrending market. Anything to add there, Nick? No, uh, that's that's what I'm aware of as well. I yeah, there's, I, I mean, I there's a lot else, of yeah. a lot of yeah. stories on different, you know, yeah. different opinions on how that came about. But um, just for you know, simplistic sake, when you hear bull market, usually usually means good times are here, and and when you hear bear market, it means things aren't aren't so good. Yeah. So. Um, it yeah, makes good sense question, too yeah. why the why the bull, you know, in Wall Street down down there the bull statue if anyone's ever been down there yeah exactly so um before we leave it there nick anything else you want to leave listeners with no no uh yeah thanks thanks for having me thanks for coming on yeah hope people enjoy always it's uh it's a pleasure thanks for all the information you provided and Thanks, everybody, for listening to episode 224 of the Independent Advisors podcast. We hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week, and we'll be back next week for episode 225. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.